Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today, I had the honor of connecting with a friend and colleague, McCall McPherson. She is the visionary behind Modern Thyroid Clinic, a thyroid-centered functional medicine practice in Austin, Texas. She's also a former TEDx speaker and thyroid expert. She joined me today to dive deep into her background and spend a good amount of time differentiating between Graves' disease and Hashimoto's, how to address, treat, and provide lab work support for each of these diagnoses. We discussed specific treatment recommendations. We spoke about disordered eating, yo-yo dieting, and the starvation diet mentality, the importance of metabolic potency, the impact of synthetic oral contraceptives, hormone resets, informed consent, as well as hormone replacement therapy. We talked about strategies, including low-dose naltrexone, GLP-1 agonists, fasting, fear of food and over-restriction, and the impact of weight loss resistance. I hope you will enjoy our conversation as much as I did recording it. Welcome, McCall. I've been so looking forward to this conversation. I think we've been trying to make this work for like two years. I know. I'm so glad we, we finally made it happen. We've arrived. <laughs> it was meant to happen. That's the really exciting thing. So share with my listeners a bit about your background. I think many people think about you in terms of focusing in on thyroid, but it's my understanding that you actually, your medical career actually started in a different specialty. So how did you make your way to thyroid health? Gosh, you know, by way of a couple modalities, the first I graduated PA school a long time ago, thought I had my dream job in neurosurgery and absolutely found myself unhappy in medicine. I literally told my parents at one point, I'm going to go become a general contractor. Oh no. Like this whole medical thing <laughs> all together. So really quickly I realized I would have to distance myself from my patients because of the I couldn't handle the pain that people were dealing with. I, I wasn't called to that. So I'm like, either I have to create a barrier or I need to move specialties. And I moved specialties to psychiatry. I did that for several years and I loved it. Found myself in integrative and functional psychiatry, digging deeper into people's driving root cause of psychiatric conditions. And then a few years into my practice, I noticed like 80% of the people that were coming to see me were coming for thyroid disorders. And I was like, how are you hearing about my thyroid treatment? Like I was never advertising myself as that over and over and over. I got the same answer, which was I found your name on patient forums. I did a ton of research. And ultimately I had treated enough people for treatment resistant depression that actually had a thyroid condition that they took my information and they spread it all over the internet and built an entire thyroid practice for me without me knowing. And I'm like, at that point, after my first out of state patient flew in, I was like, I think I might be in the wrong specialty. I think <laughs> calling is this whole other thing. I was in passion for it. I was a thyroid patient, which really is what started my journey to become a thyroid expert because I just, I couldn't get my thyroid problem solved. And I was 27 and going to bed at 3.30 in the afternoon every day. So clearly this was my path. And now I get to give people their lives back 
after getting my life back from a thyroid problem. So I, it's a win-win for everyone, really. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I knew about the neurosurgery. I did not know that you were in clinical psychiatry for a period of time. That's really interesting. And yet you were seeing refractory depression and realizing it was untreated hypothyroidism, I would imagine. And it's interesting to me because my listeners know, I mean, my background's ER medicine and cardiology. I'm an adrenaline junkie, but how poorly we treated thyroid health issues, even in, well, in the hospital, it was either an emergency or it was just a stable chronic health issue, but how insensitive I think many of us are to thyroid health issues until, you know, the pain to purpose, I developed Hashimoto's and, you know, it was very humbling when I would talk to practitioners and they were like, Cynthia, you're in your forties, you know, you put on five to 10 pounds. This is just the way things are. I think just hearing that got me so I guess, focused on ensuring that other people didn't continue to hear that rhetoric, which I think can be very inflammatory and in many ways, unmotivating for patients when they hear that they're like, well, if my doctor, my PA, my NP are telling me this, then maybe this is just the way things are. And so as you made that kind of arc from clinical psychiatry to really this burgeoning thyroid practice, do you have an equal mix of patients with Graves disease and Hashimoto's? Because this is like a, a personal statement. I just had a podcast that came out focused on Hashimoto's. First one I've done solely focused on that. And I had so many women saying, can you please do a podcast talking about Graves disease? Because no one's talking about it. And before we started recording, you admitted that it's a really underserved, like thyroid disorders are, are underserved to begin with, but even more so for people that are dealing with an autoimmune hyperthyroidism. So an overactive thyroid. So in your experience, has it been, is it an equal amount of patients that you're seeing, or do you see more Hashis over Graves or is it just an equal amount? It's a hundred to one. I would say really? I see a hundred Hashi patients for every Graves patient, which I think is why there's a disparity in access to information and the progression of treatment in Graves disease. But the severity of these poor people, I mean, the severity of Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism is absolutely debilitating, but Graves is just expanded exponentially on that. And they really, truly suffer. And the standard of care treatment lacks so much for them that they need access, information, help, progression. Yeah. And so perhaps for the benefit of listeners, kind of explaining what Graves is. It's not just hyperthyroidism, but it's kind of the extreme symptoms. So these are people that could probably be treated for anxiety. They could probably be treated for chronic diarrhea. They could probably be treated for an inability to sleep, very likely with medications that are not helping this thyroid issue. Yeah, it goes back to the same to the psychiatry piece, right? And a lot of thyroid patients do end up in a psychiatric office being treated for something that isn't going to help them. So Graves' disease is an autoimmune condition where your body attacks your thyroid gland with different antibodies. Um, and it triggers a hyperthyroidism. But even more than that, so the symptoms are like anxiety, palpitations, sweating, weight loss, hair loss, sleeplessness, shaking, restlessness, um, it's super common that I see postpartum for women, especially they go into this transient graves state. So that's definitely a time to be attuned. 
Um, but the most difficult part about it too is it creates this instability where people will be really hyper and then they'll crash and be hypo and they're strapped into what I call this Graves roller coaster. So as soon as you finally might make it to the doctor to talk about your symptoms, they could have completely flip-flops and you're just up and down. And it really does take a unique advocate for yourself because the first line, the first thing that you're getting worked up for will not be Graves disease. It'll be one of the last. Yeah. And so in terms of a traditional allopathic lens for Graves, let's talk about that combined or in contrast to a more functional root-based approach because they're so significant. I saw a lot of Graves patients who, much to your point, they would be hyper and then the treatment for Graves would make them hypo. And so they would go from one extreme to the other. And I had patients, especially females telling me, I feel like I'm losing my mind because they would go from one extreme to another. And it wasn't because they weren't being compliant with treatment. It was just the way that they go about treating Graves here in the United States. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, that is the biggest struggle with Graves disease is the standard of care approach is one diagnostic. Often they just check some thyroid function labs, very limited ones. So they don't get clarity. If these people truly are hyperthyroid, they'll check maybe TSH and T4, which again, paints this small picture that isn't clear. I've seen people that transfer to me from an endocrinologist that say, my endocrinologist told me I may have Graves disease, but they're not sure. Well, this is a finite differentiated medical problem that can be black and white diagnosed and people need a full thyroid panel, you know, and then antibodies for Graves disease. So of course I would categorize that as being in the allopathic model, but those are thyroid stimulating immunoglobulins and thyrotropin receptor antibodies. So people need that full panel and along with free T3, free T4, reverse T3, TSH, And so that is kind of the standard diagnostic approach with a more limited kind of algorithm, but the treatment is where it really starts to fail these people. And it is exactly what you said. It is, we really just want to make sure you're not hyperthyroid. So we are going to put you on methimazole, PTU, something to shove you down into a hypothyroid state because our priority in medicine is protecting people from acute medical issues, you know, like heart attack, stroke, that kind of thing. They have no problem allowing these people to be hypothyroid. And for all of you hypothyroid listeners out there, you know how miserable that is. And this is really where, in my opinion, a functional medicine and integrative medicine approach shines, especially at Modern Thyroid Clinic. We have a super unique approach. So in part, similar to Hashimoto's, we're actually trying to reduce Graves antibodies measurably. With that, takes the roller coaster from extreme swings of high and low to the lower their antibodies get, the less the swings and the less frequent and severe the roller coaster up and downs are. So immediately people get relief from that roller coaster, but they also get to reduce their methamazole. They get to reduce their medication. But the coolest thing that I always tell Graves people on social media when they pick my brain, I'm like, listen, I have a couple things to share with you that I want you to research. One is block and replace therapy, life changing for these people. So we block just enough of their thyroid function with methomazole, 
to garner control, to stop the roller coaster ebbs and flows. And then we actually go in and we replace their missing hormones so that they too get to live a life of like perfect thyroid balance. They're not stuck in one extreme or the next. Um, and then the other piece of advice I always give Graves people that hundred percent of my patients on Graves with Graves are on at Modern Thyroid Clinic is LDN, Lotus Naltrexone. Single-handedly, that will often help me completely get control so quickly that they need micro amounts of Graves meds, micro amounts of thyroid medication. It just really lowers their antibodies in a hugely significant way. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armra Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armra's Colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced. And it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer-term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 
12 month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. You know, it's interesting. So in prep for our conversation, I was down the TikTok rabbit hole because you have these really great vignettes. You know, I was like playing them while I was sitting at my counter last night. My kids were like, who are you watching on TikTok? I was like, this is the clinician I'm talking with tomorrow. And I think you have a really unique lens because to me, it is criminal that we are, our standard of care is that we block and we're not replacing. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's brilliant because no one's suffering needlessly. You know, when you go from having too much and then having not enough and you're very symptomatic, the other pieces are using synthetics like Cytomel or Synthroid or using, you know, nature thyroid or using compounded thyroid replacement, or is it dependent on the patient? I would imagine there's a lot of bioindividuality. Such a good question. So my end goal and what I found honestly in my decade of thyroid care is if I get people to narrow controlled margins of exactly what I dictate as perfect thyroid function, which is completely neurotic levels, just hyper-focused ranges, they get their lives back. I find that irrespective of if it's synthetic or natural in the form of desiccated thyroid, So I use both. The only thing I actually won't use is compounded thyroid medication. The reason is because I stopped using it in in about 2018, I believe. And I'll give you an analogy, Alan Christensen, Dr. Alan Christensen gave me at one point, which is, you know, an analogy to baking muffins. When you're baking muffins and you need to make an equal amount of blueberries in every muffin, you kind of can with pretty good accuracy. And that's like, when you're dealing with milligrams, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, when you're dealing with micrograms, like you are with thyroid medication, it's like baking muffins and trying to get an equal amount of poppy seeds in every muffin. It's impossible. And that's what I would find. People that would be perfectly stable for months, years would all of a sudden swing. And the last time I decided to stop using it, my stable patient swung to a TSH of 12. Wow because she had a 90 day supply of thyroid medication that was not correctly potent. And so now I, I discourage the use of that in general, because eventually you'll get a bad batch and 90 days is enough to throw off the course of a lot with thyroid. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, part of that question was just out of curiosity. I have been on all of those. And finally there was a product I was on in 2000 and that was taken off the market and it's taken two and a half years to get me therapeutic finally, but on compounded because we had such small doses. Yeah. But again, I completely respect the decision. If you can't get consistency with medication, I can completely understand the desire to not no longer uh, facilitate that. 
Now let's talk about LDN because LDN is really interesting. So low dose naltrexone, I myself am taking this very small doses. Let's talk about how it acts in the body because this is not just for Grace patients, this can also be for Hashi patients and it's there's a lot of different uses, but let's talk about what it does for the thyroid patient that's so substantial and significant. Yeah, so it's a unique medication in that naltrexone in normal conventional doses is an opioid blocker. It will block pain medicine. It will block opioids. When you compound it, you make it into a microscopic amount, which starts at almost a 50th of the lowest traditional dose. It does something unique in our physiology and it tells our body, hey, we're a little short on opioids. We've blocked a little bit. We actually need more. So our body upregulates to surmount that depletion and we end up in a state of mild excess opioids. And what happens in that case is it lowers inflammation and therefore autoimmune disease of any kind. So it takes the volume of whatever is driving your inflammation whether it's food, whether it's your physiology, your genetics, your environment, it takes that inflammatory response and turns the volume down. And what you see in thyroid patients specifically is a significant, often reduction in antibodies. I've seen someone's TPO antibodies, which is classic Hashimoto's antibody, reduce over 500 points in three months with no other lifestyle changes, which it's hard to mimic that any other way. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And what's interesting is when I brought it up with my functional medicine doc, I said, I'm just reading a lot, seeing a lot. And he just said, Cynthia, I cannot predict who it's going to work well in. But he said, it's worth trying. And he said, but when it works, it's miraculous. Yeah. And I tell people there is this idea propagated I think on forums that LDN in a matter of days is going to make you feel so different and amazing. I see that maybe five to 8% of the time. I never aim for that to be my result. I aim more, especially in the realm of Hashi and Graves. I want to see that antibody reduction elicited, even if you don't necessarily feel a world of change. And so I always look for those objective markers. If they subjectively feel better, if their symptoms improve, all the better, but we're definitely aiming for long-term outcome improvement. And LDN has new studies coming out about that on a, I read one this morning about treating treatment refractory seizures with it. Like it's just endless, the benefits of this medication. So very, very powerful for sure. I don't even have Hashimoto's autoimmune disease anymore. haven't had it for 15 plus years, I'll take LDN forever myself. I make my husband take it. He'll take it forever. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. I was listening to a talk that a, a female physician was giving, and she was saying that 1.5 milligrams of LDN can lower your risk of breast cancer, which I thought was really interesting. She's an anti-aging. This is Dr. Pam Smith. I was at a talk that she was giving and she has a very strong family history. So she said, I will take this till the day I die. And she's like, 1.5 milligrams is like nothing. It's like breathing. <laughs> So she said, you know, based on the research, this is certainly suggestive. And, you know, it's one of those things I think that more often than not, if a patient or someone's listening to this podcast, you're very likely going to need to work with someone who has a functional or integrative medicine background. I would imagine that most traditionally trained allopathic providers are not offering that. Absolutely. You know, the one place I found 
improved access is Ageless RX. They really need to just hire me on their promotion team. They have no <laughs> idea who I am, but I spread their information everywhere. They do like online consults and they do LDN prescriptions. And so oh, I tell great. my people, my followers, I'm like, listen, if you can't have access to this, if you can't find a functional medicine person to work with, there's alternatives now because really the negative ramifications of it are little to none and a ton of health benefits, cancer, just like you said, and so many other things. So it's something I encourage quite frequently. Yeah. Ageless RX was not on my radar. So listeners, Ageless RX is uh, someone that McCall works with frequently, recommends, check them out if you aren't working with someone that is functionally or integrative medicine trained. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about, you know, we had been touching base with one another before our conversation started. And let's talk about what I see as a increasingly prevalent issue Disordered eating, obviously in the intermittent fasting space, there's a lot of people that hide their disordered eating under the context of intermittent fasting. But let's talk about yo-yo dieting and starvation diet mentality, because I think for many women, by the time they probably come to you, they've yeah. been through a lot. And, you know, they may be employing dieting strategies that can, you know, damage their metabolism or make it harder for them to maintain a healthy weight. And so what has been your experience? I was actually looking at some statistics last night and it was indicating that 9% of the population or 28.8 million Americans will have some type of a disordered eating pattern over their lifetime. Um, The economic cost is 64.7 billion with a B per year. And that was just this one ANAD website that I was looking at. And that's really sobering. I think a lot of clinicians don't recognize the full ramifications of how many people are really struggling with this. Yeah. And it's such a multifaceted thing, especially for me. So I'm in the business of women. I'm in the business of women aging with thyroid hormone issues, right? So I have definitely a unique lens to this. And the people that come to see me, especially in Austin and Austin, Texas, they're health-minded people. These are people who put a lot of effort into their health and what ends up happening in the realm of thyroid hormonal disorders, which in my opinion will affect every woman at some point, essentially to a high degree, is you start to lose that metabolic potency over time. And slowly as that potency erodes, you have to do more and more and more to maintain your weight, to not gain weight, even more to lose weight. And it becomes this beast that controls you because you no longer have control over your outcome, right? And women, especially in my opinion, are struggling with that. They're not given answers to that, especially in the thyroid sector. Before they see me, they're told repeatedly by their doctor that it's their, they need to diet more, exercise more, eat less, exercise more. And these women are already doing too much, you know, and it ends up with a completely unhealthy pattern of eating. It ends up completely out of their control yet it's this so often this core physiological issue that's driving it that's not fixed and has caused so much of this damage. And they're in a really, really unhealthy cycle with limited options at their disposal, unless they're really educated to in this kind of sense of, of their health. So it really is a huge, huge issue. Yeah. It's interesting because I I've kind of fallen into this perimenopause menopause space Initially, not realizing that's that was where I was going to land when I transitioned out of traditional allopathic medicine. 
but I feel like in many ways, a lot of the information that we've given patients over the years Mm -hmm. is flatly wrong. You know, we told them to eat to stoke your metabolism. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Eat all your heart healthy grains and carbohydrates, you know, don't eat enough protein. And I think that perimenopause for a lot of women is where this starts to manifest. And you talk about metabolic potency, which I'm going to assume is speaking to metabolic flexibility, metabolic sensitivity or insulin sensitivity, that loss of insulin sensitivity. And so when you're working with women in this age range, you know, late thirties, early forties that are kind of starting the early stages of perimenopause, what are some of the things that you're thinking about beyond thyroid function that are critically important? We were laughing about this before we started recording as well. I think that again, goes back to your psychiatry background, you know, this loss of progesterone that starts that women are put on anti-anxiety meds and they're put on antidepressants and their sleep is terrible. So they're prescribed Ambien. Does Ambien still get prescribed? I'm assuming it does. Yeah, Yeah, they're prescribed sleep aids when what they really need is some progesterone that would really help them. Amen. And that shift at that time is associated with, I think on average, eight to 10 pounds of weight gain because of that shift of hormones. So even just outside of thyroid, just reproductive hormones alone, then, you know, you have that mixed with this loss of insulin sensitivity, people have completely lost their metabolic flexibility because of the dogma that we've incorporated, especially women our age, because our dogma was so flawed that we have a lifetime on this high grains, lots of meals, never let your blood sugar drop, calories in equals calories out, all of these flawed ideologies. And then we end up in our forties and fifties, and we are just really in bad shape. And then we have to unravel all of the the damage that's been done over the last few decades, culminating with a potential thyroid and certain hormone dysregulation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to me, you know, working with thousands of women at this stage of life, that something as simple as encouraging them to eat more protein as an example. Yeah can be life-changing. They're like, I didn't know what it was like to feel satiated between meals. Right. You know, something don't be afraid of not eating six meals a day. Don't be afraid of letting your blood sugar retrain itself to tap into your fat stores so that you can ever burn fat. You know, these people who are so terrified of letting their blood sugar drop because of that lack of metabolic inflexibility or lack of metabolic flexibility, just get in this rat race of constantly keeping up their blood sugar, but of course they can never lose weight. And it gets frustrating for them, I think. And yeah. then it restricts and restricts. Well, and I think that's, I call it the triad. That's my working name for it, but it's the over restriction of food because we've convinced people eat less exercise mm-hmm. more. So too much exercise over restriction of food. And then, you know, if a little bit of fasting is good, more is better. And so these are the women that I see that are doing chronic habitual OMAD and they don't understand that they are effectively, I hate to use this term, but breaking their metabolism to make it really clear that they are actually making it harder for their bodies to utilize stored fat as a fuel source because their bodies think they're starving. Their reverse T3, their thyroid inhibitory hormone is through the roof, you know, and then they're more restrictive to solve the problem. Yeah. And so an initial workup. So if a woman comes to you, you suspect there's probably a thyroid issue, they're in the right frame of 
range for perimenopause or even menopause, what's a traditional, like kind of, again, we're not giving medical advice, but like 30,000 foot perspective on what labs are you thinking about ordering for these patients? So if there are women listening that are saying, oh, you know, that's not a lab I've heard before so that they have some context. Now, obviously if you live close to McCall, go to McCall directly. But if you're trying to like work with your practitioner and you're trying to get a plan together, what are some of the common labs that you're thinking about when someone comes to you with some degree of weight loss resistance or presumed metabolic inflexibility? Yeah. So just that alone, absolutely. I'm looking at their fasting insulin. I'm looking at their hemoglobin A1C tertiarily, I'm looking at their fasting blood sugar, but in my opinion, that is, you know, third on the list for sure. I'm looking at inflammatory markers. I'm looking at HSCRP. Of course, I'm doing a full thyroid panel, TSH, free T4, free T3, reverse T3, TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies. And then we're doing a full hormone panel too. So we can analyze, Hey, where are you at in this process? We're looking at your sex hormone binding globulin, your progesterone, your estradiol, your testosterone, your DHEA. So we can look at your adrenal function. How is cortisol potentially rated into this? But definitely metabolic, you know, loss of metabolic flexibility is fasting insulin, hemoglobin A1C are top tier. And a lot of people have their hemoglobin A1C, the average blood sugar, but they don't have how their insulin is relating to that blood sugar. And that's an important piece of information. Yeah, it's interesting. I oftentimes will tell people there's now websites you can go to where you can, if your provider is not willing to test your fasting insulin, which is cheap, it's like I've seen as low as $12. I've seen up to $20. I get mine check like every quarter because I'm a little obsessive about it. I like to know exactly where I fall. But having said that, I think it's so helpful because we know that our fasting insulin will just regulate 10 years before that fasting glucose or A1C. And so we are missing opportunities with patients. And that to me is really disheartening. How many women I've worked with that I've said, get your fasting insulin tested and their fasting insulin's 20. And I'm like, well, now we know why you're not losing weight or this is certainly contributing to this. So certainly a very important piece of the puzzle. And when we're looking at women... As an example, if they're taking oral contraceptives, we know that that can make it harder to evaluate their sex hormones. How do you kind of, you know, work through that kind of low estradiol, low sex hormone state, trying to differentiate? And let me be clear, there are women in their peak cycling years, perimenopause, and yes, there are physicians and providers out there who still keep women on oral contraceptives in menopause, which that's something we could unpack for a whole other day. But important to just understand that, the net impact of oral contraceptives. They are endocrine disruptors. Um, If you need them for birth control, there's no judgment, but just there's not fully informed consent for a lot of these women. How do you unpack that? How do you help them understand their lab work? You know, that is such an educational piece because I sit down with them and I say, look, you know, if if this is working for you, of course, this is such a personal decision, especially in the the postmenopausal phase of things, but the necessity for this medication is not here. And not only is your birth control shifting your hormone transport for your reproductive hormones and shifting your hormones in general, it's shifting it for thyroid. It's shifting it for your testosterone. It is a downstream effect in pretty much every hormonal aspect of things. And so there are such better ways to support these women than to keep them on hormonal birth control in their peri postmenopausal years that most of the time they'll let me just help them 
you know, and, and there are, you know, the world of thyroid is complicated. It's hard to have access to people that know what they're doing. There are a lot of people that know good hormone replacement, you know, um, so the access to that is so much more expanded. And so I would encourage anyone that's getting treated postmenopausally with hormonal birth control to get a second opinion from someone that deals with bioidentical hormones and can really help support you because it is life changing. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think most, I would say most of us that are, you know, of a certain age, we, at some point were on oral contraceptives and there's no knocking that it was a choice, but I don't think most of us were fully had informed consent and I certainly didn't. And so at the time in my life, when I should have been building my peak bone and muscle mass, I was on oral contraceptives. Exactly. I said, so why am I osteopenic at 51? One of many reasons, I think some of it's genetics. It's not because I don't lift and I don't have a pristine diet. I think a lot of is I missed out on opportunities to build my bone when I was younger. And so if you've been someone that's been on oral contraceptives for 20 years, the reality is that you are probably someone that that low estrogen estradiol state for a period of time. Yes, it may be a help with contraception or you know, addressing irregular periods or heavy periods or for whatever indication people took it, but also understand there's there are potential long-term side effects. And that's what I think is significant because this is why I now speak out about this more frequently is that if you're a younger person and you have other options, understanding the full ramifications of being on oral contraceptives, you know, Felice Gers talks about the endocrine disrupting properties of these synthetic hormones. You know, it's not progesterone, it's progestin. It's not estradiol. It's a synthetic uh, form of estrogen. Understanding with full informed consent that every woman deserves to fully understand what it is that they're taking. And the sad thing about oral contraceptives, and it's, it's sad because you take them for most instances, people are taking them to ensure they don't get pregnant the jokes on them because their testosterone is so low, they have no libido. So yes, you can't get pregnant, but then you don't want to have sex. Right. And that is, I mean, that's so true. And then also when you come off of them and have this idea that you are immediately going to be able to get pregnant, I tell my patients, you need to give me at least nine to 18 months because we are going to be doing some intensive hormonal resets over here, you know, and women don't realize that they're actually walking around for years, decades in a postmenopausal state for estrogen and progesterone. So that even the neuroprotection, the osteoporosis, osteopenia, the collagen, the hair, all the things that we need our hormones for in our prime hormonal years, decades, they are walking around below detectable level. There is not even an ounce of estradiol registering on your labs, 99% of you. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because I, I think most of us don't even realize that. I remember I thought I always had terrible PMS mm-hmm. and I didn't realize until I got married, went off the pill, had my first cycle, which took a while, much to your point about explaining to people, you may not get a cycle for a while. And I said to my husband, I had no idea I was going to get my period because I didn't feel bad. And all those years I'd been on the pill every, you know, that, and it wasn't even a real period. It's a withdrawal bleed. I felt awful, like horrible. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I actually don't have bad PMS. It was a byproduct of being on the pill. In my psychiatry practice, I had a patient diagnosed with bipolar disorder from birth control because she had so much mood dysphoria. She came off of her birth control and never had another bipolar issue again. That's amazing. Speaking to informed consent, you know, it's, 
it's interesting in medicine, we're supposed to give informed consent, but there's these areas where we're not held accountable or expected to, you know, and birth control is one of them. I don't even know if clinicians are trained properly in the long-term, short-term side effects, what to watch out for or ramifications of these medications to even share with their patients. Weight gain is one of many symptoms that our hormones are in decline, especially as we navigate perimenopause into menopause. Dr. Anna, who is a great friend of mine, is an OBGYN who's treated thousands of women just like you and I who experience increasing dryness and even pain in the bedroom as they get older. Jolva is the solution Dr. Anna formulated for her own clients, and it has since been loved by over 100,000 women. It's a feminine cream with DHEA that helps the body regenerate moisture from the inside out. 92.8% of Jolva users experienced a significant improvement in the first four to eight weeks. Get 10% off your first purchase of Jolva by using the link dranna.com slash Cynthia. That's DrAnna.com, Cynthia, and get 10% off your first purchase. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients, and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. It's a really good important and it's not a topic that we've discussed at great length, but it's one that I feel is important for younger women to be made aware of and even, you know, middle-aged women to be made aware of. I guess the other thing that I think about is um, synthetic hormone replacement therapy, whether it's people are taking oral progesterone, whether they're using transdermal progesterone, whether they're using biased or they're using estradiol patches or testosterone. How do you start those conversations with your patients? Do you find that most people are receptive to hormone replacement therapy when they need it? Or do you still feel like there's quite a bit of fear or concerns? I, I think the women's health initiative in many ways which coincided when I finished my nurse practitioner program had a whole generation of patients that were fearful to take them providers that were fearful to prescribe them. I absolutely still run into barriers that create an opportunity for education. And then those patients leave my practice, they go back to their GYN and it is a complete dichotomy of approach of support or absolutely you're going to get breast cancer you know, um, and the longer that, you know, the women's health initiative studies go from being finalized, the more they are scrutinized and really 
debunked in a, such a significant way. And at the end of the day, I think it's education and it's need. Not everyone needs hormone replacement. And I'm an advocate for, look, we don't need to fix this number if you're postmenopausal. We need to fix your symptoms. So if your symptoms are bad enough, then let's open this discussion. And the reality is, is they are so extremely safe when they are used appropriately. Can they be misused? Of course, absolutely. Like anything, anything in excess is not really great, but women don't need a lot of hormones to feel great, to protect their health as they age. They need only just enough. And that just enough is in my opinion with negligible risk. Yeah. I think it's important. You know, there's certainly differing opinions about hormone replacement therapy. I mean, there's, you know, people that give very little. There are people that are kind of in the middle. And then you have extremes like the Wiley protocol, which listeners may or may not be aware of, but it protocols that give women back hormones to a super therapeutic level, level to where they were in their peak cycling years. Um, And I think that is, I'm not going to pass judgment. I'm just going to say that you have to be very aware of the side, the potential side effects and whether or not that's the right decision. I don't see as much of that now as I did a few years ago, but certainly that's, those are the types of things that are out there. And that's an extreme. Like I always say there's outliers and then somewhere in the middle is probably more consensus. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the strategies that you use with your patients. We already talked about LDN. Yeah. We're going to talk about the big elephant in the room, the GLP one Agnes, because I know that uh, we've had conversations offline about some of the benefits that you've seen with your patients and and how you think it really in many ways has been life-changing for many of them. Yeah. So again, it goes back to this loss of metabolic potency and the dysfunction that comes along with that, the over-restriction, the fear of food that really spirals out of control with so many women. And let's say magically on day one, I wave a wand and I make someone's thyroid function perfect, which ultimately is our where we go. But even at perfect thyroid function, after years or decades of disordered function, you that loss of metabolic potency, it is not fixed. It's still there and it has to be repaired. And things like intermittent fasting within reason can help to repair that process. But it's it's years and years and years of effort. And people become more restrictive and more discouraged in that time. And where I found GLP-1 agonists like semaglutide or Zimbic-Manjaro to be exceptionally useful is in the specific type of person. Their lifestyle is good. They eat well, they exercise within reason, but they cannot lose weight. They cannot maintain their weight. And not only do these medications facilitate weight loss for these women or people, they improve their metabolic potency over time so that when they come off of them, they're able to appropriately put effort in to maintain their weight. They're able to put appropriate effort into losing weight. And the biggest you know, piece of feedback that I've gotten that from my patients at Modern Thyroid Clinic, because those are the only people I treat with this, is the amount of food freedom that I now get to experience because of this is life-changing because they no longer have to live in this tiny box of control all the time, you know? And so I think there's so much dogma and politicized stuff about these medications right now, but for this, especially and other categories too, but in my realm, this specific category of person, it is 
life-changing for their mental health, their physical health, their long-term health outcomes. The stuff that I'm seeing on these people with their lab follow-ups over time is mind-boggling too. And so are you starting them at sub-therapeutic doses, like small, smaller than like general? Because I guess some of what I'm seeing in the biohacking space is that you have very thin people that are taking semi-glutide like once a week versus, you know, the dosing that I see that is more commonly utilized for men and women versus let's just start there. How does your dose, are you at a, a sub-therapeutic dose? Do you start with smaller doses than what's conventionally used? You know, how do you come to a determination? Because one of the things that I've realized talking to so many providers who do prescribe it is there's tremendous variation and it's, you know, very much based on you as a provider, knowing your patients, knowing, you know, how much you can push or sometimes how slowly you have to move to get them to the outcomes they're looking for. Yeah. So our protocol is divided and it definitely is individualized, but either they start at half of the normal dose or they Mm -hmm. start at the normal dose. We just don't increase to ever increasingly high levels. So we kind of hit a threshold and we pause. We allow their body to become sensitive to the medication. Again, we use things like metformin during Mm -hmm. that time to continue our work to create metabolic sensitivity, but without the GLP-1 agonist on board. And then we cycle them through again, if they still have weight to lose. So we kind of keep things on the low end. Research shows too, the bulk of weight loss happens at kind of low medium doses. And so we want to harness that by building them up and then allowing them to pause and resetting and then recreating that period of time where most people lose the bulk of their weight on these medications over and over until they reach their goal weight and their markers, their lab markers show that their metabolic sensitivity has been restored. And it sounds like your approach is pretty unique, which I think is wonderful to hear because I've heard from other colleagues that you can't push too quickly. People get constipated. They're nauseous. Um, you know, those are the most common side effects. And I do have some patients that are working with me that are working concurrently with other providers that are on it. And I think it seems like in, and again, small percentage of people, um, a lot of them deal, a lot of them struggle with the nausea. They struggle with the constipation that can be a self-limiting. And I would imagine if you're using smaller micro doses and kind of cycling them on and off, you're probably not seeing as many side effects. Totally. And then ours is individualized. There's so many workarounds for that. You split your dose. You do it twice a week at half doses. You reduce down. Strangely, if you move your injection from your stomach to your outer thigh, reduces nausea. Like hmm. it's, I know it's strange, but consistently I'm getting that feedback. So there's so many workarounds for that. There's very few people. I think I've had one person of a few hundred that couldn't tolerate it. Like it really just, for whatever reason, their physiology didn't agree with it. But most people, if you have uh, an informed person that can really guide you with it, it's so the, the side effects are minimal. Yeah. And are you seeing, cause I, I think this is one of the, the studies that just came out. It was saying, you know, most of what people are losing is muscle mass. And so obviously we, that would be a concern. Are you seeing that in your patients? But it, again, it sounds like because you're being very conscientious using these subtherapeutic doses, cycling them on and off, they're probably not seeing a significant amount of muscle loss. They might just be losing fat. Yeah. I'm not seeing that now. I like almost order their eating where they have protein first, Mm -hmm. then high micronutrients or green juice, and then any filler foods, because part of the struggle is these people are not getting enough protein and micronutrients. Um, But it's interesting because the original study showed 
about standard where mm-hmm. people lose two thirds fat, one third muscle, which is sort of what happens when you lose weight. So I almost feel that there's these smear campaigns coming out where for whatever reason, these medications are being targeted and painted in a really negative light when that's not what, that's not the data that I'm getting, you know? Yeah. It's, but it's helpful. I think that you know, we had Dr. Tracy Gappin on earlier this spring and you and I had a conversation in our DMs and you had said to me very transparently that you had had a very different experience, that there was another type of conversation that was worth having. And so I'm always open-minded. I don't prescribe them because I'm not seeing patients face-to-face anymore, but I do see the utility. And certainly when we're looking at the bulk of our population that is not metabolically healthy, like 92% of us, we need to have options for people because it may not be that every person can just go low carb or keto and lose a bunch of weight and sustain that over time. So when you're doing these cycles, like what's the duration of time that the average person is utilizing the GLP ones in conjunction with working with you? Yeah. I would say the cycle goes on average from four to six months before they break. I'd say 80% at 75% break after four months. Because again, two to three months in is when weight loss usually happens, but there's still fear about stopping it. So some of them will continue it for another two months because they think their metabolism is going to go right back to where it was before we started. And again, that is not what I'm seeing. Um, And so we'll break somewhere around there and allow them four to six weeks to reset. Again, now I use metformin during that time to continue the work, to protect their metabolic function. And then we restart again for another cycle. I love that perspective. And so when we're looking at kind of like broad reasons why women will be weight loss resistant, what are some of the most common reasons that you're seeing this in your practice? This is a huge topic, one we could talk about for hours on end, but what are some of the the less common or perhaps the things that women are doing that they're not aware of are contributing to why they remain weight loss resistant? Yeah. So obviously we know thyroid, hundred percent of my patients are thyroid. So we can definitely count that one in. Of course, that loss of insulin sensitivity Mm -hmm. and blood sugar metabolism, I think is created by standard American living at this Mm -hmm. point. You know, if you're not working on it, you've got a loss of insulin sensitivity and blood sugar metabolic function. You know, if you're not intentionally dealing with that. I think lack of muscle mass to increase our basal metabolic rate is a big, a big issue where people will do cardio, 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 but we never really build our muscle mass so that if we're not doing cardio, we don't have a metabolism. I think too, one thing that I always see with my patients initially is people are afraid to work out while they're fasted, you know, not to mean they need to go do a 40 minute CrossFit workout five days a week fasted, but like you can go lift weights fasted. You can walk, you can even go for a run. Um, If you are not doing that and you're waking up, you're having a really great healthy smoothie and then you're going to work out, going for a run, you are burning off part of your smoothie. We are not tapping further into those fat stores, you know? Um, And then Lastly, and this is a big thing that I know you're, you're big on too, is metabolic flexibility. Our body has to be able to switch from burning carbs and sugar to your stored fat. And if you are not able to fluidly do that every day, if you are constantly burning your food, you can never burn your fat and you can never lose weight. Yeah, it's really important. And and it's always helpful for listeners to 
you know, hear this from multiple practitioners because it reinforces that these are foundational principles that are so important. Um, couple listeners questions. One asked, do you have supplements that you, so again, 30,000, you're not giving medical advice, supplements that you tend to utilize for your thyroid patients, whether it's micronutrients, whether it's, you know, fish oil. I mean, are there supplements that you use with some consistency for these patients where it kind of fills in the gap? Maybe they're not getting enough from their nutrition. Maybe, you know, depending on what medication they're taking, they may have gaps in their, in their needs. Yes. So I like thyroid blend supplements. Designs for Health has one. Zymogen has one. Zymogen's is called Medcaps T3. I forget the name of the Designs for Health, but Zymogen has iodine. Designs for Health doesn't. So I try to stick with Designs for Health for people that have Hashimoto's. And then my favorite, honestly, is almost 100% of my patients have adrenal dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And that will keep you from feeling the improvement in your thyroid. And so I am a huge advocate for adrenal support in my population of patients and really anyone with a thyroid disorder. My very favorite is orthomoleculars, Adrenal. It's life-changing. I tell people for people that need it, it's equally as life-changing as thyroid medication. Wow. That's impressive. And it's interesting to me that the adrenal piece gets overlooked, you know, that the concept of adrenal fatigue has, you know, gotten patients thinking that's what it's about. It's really the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access. So it's really talking about your brain's perception to what you're going through, but I can't think of anyone that's North of late thirties that doesn't need some degree of adrenal support. Amen. At least for a season. Right. Mm -hmm. And I find I can repair their adrenals and they can go on and be fine without it. But most people in their thirties need some adrenal restoration to get them through the rest of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And then lastly, do you have, I was going to ask you about the iodine piece. Do you have a perspective? Cause I know, you know, Alan Christensen is not pro iodine. I've had other thyroid experts on who use it judiciously and carefully and cautiously, are you in one camp or the other? Or again, do you go back to the bioindividuality piece? Because I had multiple people asking about iodine and I was like, that's very bioindividual. It is. So I definitely, it is individualized. I do not use it in people with Hashimoto's, Graves, a history of autoimmune thyroid issues. I am not anti-completely iodine, but I use it in small, small conservative amounts if I do. And I will tell you, there is a subset of my patients who went through Dr. Alan Christensen's book and did the removal of iodine. And I tell you, their antibodies consistently dropped over time in a predictable way. And it was pretty impressive. That's amazing. You know, it's interesting. You probably also have patients who have Hashimoto's, but have negative antibodies, Mm -hmm. but their thyroid is, you know, it's that subtherapeutic. They're very symptomatic. What do you do with those patients? Are these patients that depending on their symptoms, are you starting them on medication? Again, not medical advice. I'm just asking at a generality because I, I feel like this is a a subsect of thyroid patients that conventional allopathic medicine will probably not treat. And then on the other hand, functional or integrative medicine will very likely treat because they're so symptomatic, but they have negative antibodies, whether they have suspected Graves or suspected Hashimoto's. Yeah. In that case, I treat on thyroid function alone. You know, um, 
it's interesting, 100% of my patients at Modern Thyroid Clinic have been dismissed by at least one, usually five doctors and told that everything's fine and they don't need treatment. And those are the people that, you know, really have a life-changing experience because when things are deviated just slightly, it goes back to the, our initial part of this conversation, the severity of patients' symptoms with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's is wildly underestimated in medicine. And they're dismissed over and over and over. And the reality is, is these people are suffering incredibly with an extraordinarily fixable problem that no one is offering or equipped to fix them. And so those are my people. Those are like, those are my people. And so we rely on thyroid function alone at that point in time. And we can always work on inflammation and try to reduce Hashi antibodies while not measurable, but those people benefit hugely from getting their, their biochemistry outlined to a nuanced degree. Well, I'm so thankful for this conversation. I'm glad that we were able to make it come to fruition. Please let my listeners know how to connect with you, how to view your TED talk, how to find you on TikTok. Um, that's where I love, and you have a YouTube channel, how to find you, how to connect with you. And if they want to work with you, how they can go about doing that. Oh, I'd love to. So TikTok is my place. You can find me on Instagram at McCall McPherson PAC, but TikTok at McCall McPherson is where I spend the bulk of my time. I love my TikTok community. Also YouTube, you can find my practice at modernthyroidclinic.com. My website's mccallmcpherson.com. Currently, there's a few ways that I am offering to help people, mainly driven by the demand from my TikTok people asking me over and over. One is I've created a course, Thyroid Empowered, that really takes people through all the information and the demystifying the complexities of thyroid over time. And it culminates with a group console where we all go through your labs. We talk about what they mean, what I would do. We learn from each other. It's really been an amazing experience. Um, and I launch them every month or two. So you can find that at mccallmcpherson.com forward slash courses. And then two, we have a wait list. We are working to expand nationwide right now to massively increase access to thyroid people everywhere. So you can find that on any of my social medias. You can sign up for the wait list to be notified when we make it to your state. That's awesome. I'm so excited for you. Thrilled that you are working in this space and uh, grateful for you to be a friend. I know. Same sister. Thank you for your work. And thanks for having me. Of course. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. 
Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. 